Welcome to College Guidance Now. College and career planning can be exciting, but also intimidating. At College Guidance Network, we try to inform students, reduce parent stress, and support counselors with timely, trusted advice on all aspects of the process. Your host for these discussions is Brennan Barner. Brennan is the Director of College Counseling at Khan Lab School and an advisor to Harvard's Making Caring Common Project. Each episode features a live conversation between Brennan and guest admission leaders, financial aid experts, counselors, authors, and other respected voices in the world of post-secondary planning. We hope you enjoy listening in. I am your host, Brennan Barnard, and with me are two special guests, and I will introduce them in one second. Um, but uh, I would—I just want to say, you know, the, the spring of junior year is most commonly when um, students and their families start the college search. And as you dive in, you're going to hear a lot about finding a good fit. Um, but there are two essential words I'm going to add to that, and that's for you finding a good fit for you. Here to kind of unpack that and talk about a student-centered approach to college admission um, and what matters to you are two inspiring educators and they will take your questions over the next 45 minutes and we'll get into a a good conversation about this. So um, Angela Duckworth is the CEO and founder of Character Lab. Angela, thanks for being here. Hi, good to see you again. Yeah, you too. And Sal Khan is the CEO and founder of Khan Academy and Khan Lab Schools, and I guess also my boss. <laughs> Welcome, Sal. Great to be here. So students, you're probably wondering, where should I start? Um, you might be tempted to kind of jump right into list making, um, but what do you need to be thinking about first? And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. Um, you know, how can you take a personal inventory of your priorities, your strengths, um, and the resources that are available to you? And um, Sal, I want to start with you and just kind of as we as we dig into this, um, what's your advice for students about how they should approach this journey? Yeah, take everything I have to say with a grain of salt, but, you know, a few things I think about one is, I think our society uh, tends to project so much onto picking the right college. And this isn't a frame for me, but um, I think it's very useful in the context of college admissions. There is no right decision, but there is making the decision right. Um, and I think almost any school that you could go to, you can, if you step out of your comfort zone, if you push yourself, it, you will find people who make you better. You will find interesting activities, you will find amazing mentors. And on the other side, almost any school that you go, you can look at whatever, you know, the, 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 the most selective schools or the ones that have, quote, the most prestige or whatever you might perceive. But if you go there and you don't push yourself out of the comfort, put yourself out of the comfort zone, you, you don't, um, you know, really try to leverage the environment you're at, you're, you're not going to have a, a, a great experience. Um, and, and you'll see this. Uh, you could go to almost any school in, in the country and there might be some of their alums who are like, yeah, I wasn't that into it. And then you could go to pretty much any school and like, that was amazing for me. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, and I think that also leads to a mind shift, uh, a mindset shift for the students because it's so easy to get fixated on, I need to go to school X or school Y or school Z. And you know, there's a, in, in like Vedic philosophy, there's this notion of, you can either be motivated by the outcome, which is you know, rajasic motivations, or you could be motivated by taking the right action. And so what the best thing you can do is be your authentic self, 
uh, take an inventory of what you want, put yourself out there, um, you know, do some of the classic college counseling things, have some stretch schools where, you know, that's, it's, it could be academically challenging. It's going to be, but no matter wh where you go, just, you know, say, I'm going to make the decision right. And, you know, even now at KLS at Con Law School, we had our first graduates last year. I'm still in contact with the nine graduates that we had last year. And I'm pushing them on that front. I'm saying, hey, have you thought about running for student government? Have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that? I'm, I'm, I'm selfishly motivated a little bit because I want some of their schools to say, hey, we want more KLS kids. <laughs> They're stepping out of their comfort zone. Uh, but I actually think that's that's actually what's going to make their college experience are whether they are stretching them themselves or not. So that's it. And the only other thing I would say is when it comes to essay writing and representing yourself, the more that you can just kind of de-stress it from you and just be yourself and be natural and be authentic versus trying to model what you think people want to read. It's just going to be that much better. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. Um, some really important points there. And, and, um, Angela, I'm going to turn to you. What is the parent's role in all this? You know, how can parents help? How can they maybe get out of the way? There's a, a question here from Julia about kind of how do we help students build resilience during this stressful process and when there's all these other demands on their time? Yeah, um, plus one to everything that uh, Sal said. And Sal, I think I'm like, quote unquote, ahead of you. And my kids are 18 and 20. So I think you're children are younger. Is that right? Yeah, I can, I can pretend to be a chill parent. Who's not all. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll try to reach. <laughs> and I'm right. I, and I'm right in the middle with a, with a 16 year old and a uh, 18 year old or 17 year old and a 15 year old. But yeah. Okay. So maybe uh, I'll say as, as, as a parent who's, you know, seen, you know, two daughters uh, go through the college admissions process. I mean, first of all, for, for both the students and the parents, I have, you know, a lot of sympathy. It is incredibly stressful. And, uh, and, and I think what we're trying to say is like, to the extent that you can, can you take some of that pressure off? It is crazy how stressful it is. And it's way more, I mean, Sal, can you believe we even got into college? Like, you know, Brennan, I, I look at um, how competitive it is, how even when my daughters were in sixth and fifth grade, they came home stressed out about college. I was like, what is happening? Um, uh, and so, um, so I, I have sympathy for you. What I will say about the role of parents, you know, from my perspective, not only as a mom, but also as a psychologist, um, you know, the, the age when you apply for college is actually pretty squarely in the middle of adolescence. And what is adolescence? Like all mammals go through adolescence and is the stage of development that is in between childhood and adulthood. And there's just so much going on. Your brain is changing. Um, obviously your body is changing. Um, some scientists think it's like the period of greatest neuroplasticity, um, second to early childhood. So there's a lot going on. I would say this to parents. Um, one of the things that goes on during adolescence is that there is a natural need for autonomy. I mean, there is a natural like growing, um, you know, desire to do things your way um, because you think that that's the best way. Um, so I think that parents should provide a supportive role and a sympathetic role because your kids are stressed out and and that's hard. But I think the um, the the parent who like you know, writes the essay for the kid, the parent who says, you know, I really think you should go to this school, the parent who says like, hey, I think these are the activities that are going to get you into college and therefore like you should do these activities. The heavy handed, um, what's called authoritarian parenting sometimes 
it does not work out well. And even if you actually think that that's gonna make your kid successful, I mean, the irony is like, it actually undermines long-term achievement, but also happiness and well-being. So I would say to parents, like to the extent that you can be supportive, but to let your kids make as many of these decisions as they can on their own, struggle a little bit on their own um, and have that autonomy that is natural for this age, the, uh, the better. That's a great point. And, and I'd like to point out to, to parents and students that, you know, if they're juniors and um, they're, you know, starting their college search, right? But really, they're just over halfway through high school, right? They've only, they, they've, they've a lot of high school left to go. And so how do you be a good high school student too? Um, and um, so, Sal, I, there's a question here that I want to um, uh, point to you. And it's, um, you know, the, the uh, person says, I know Sal is a believer in alternative credentials to a degree and recognize that learning takes place apart from schooling and college. As more and more employers embrace alternative credentialing, students will pursue fewer degrees and college will take on less importance. What advice can you give to prospective college students in dealing with that new world? Great question. Uh, I, I think there's a couple of things. I actually think there's going to, there's new signals that even in the college admissions process are emerging. And those will be signals that could be valuable even beyond the college admissions process. So I'll give a very tangible example. Uh, when the pandemic hit, we started another sister nonprofit to Khan Academy called schoolhouse.world, which is all around peer-to-peer -peer tutoring. And it's a very utopian idea. Well, what if we could give everyone in the world free tutoring by having uh, high quality vetted volunteer tutors? And when we started, we were like, well, how are we going to prove or show that these people are high quality and that they're vetted? Well, first, you need to make sure that they know the material. Second, they need to be strong tutors, maybe have a rating mechanism, maybe have a training. And when we, we thought about how do you uh, prove that you know the material, we said, well, what if someone were to take a, an assessment on Khan Academy, which is different every time they take it, and it records their face, it records their screen, and they have to explain their reasoning out loud while they do that. And if they get to a level of mastery, say 90%, that video artifact gets submitted for peer review by the community. And if it looks good, then it shows up on their schoolhouse transcript. Uh, and then that person can go on to become a tutor. Well, Shortly after that, University of Chicago reached out and said, this is really interesting to us because one, in a lot of ways, this is a very accessible way for students to show their mastery of content and it's standardized, uh, but it's not high stakes in this traditional way that if you don't do it, if you don't quote, get 90% the first time, you could try next week, you could try an hour later, um, you, you could keep working on it until you get the 90%. But what University of Chicago was even more interested in is that these students were then going on to become tutors. And they, University of Chicago understood very well that if a student can tutor others in say calculus or statistics or algebra or physics, that shows not only do they have mastery of the material, but it shows that they can communicate, they have empathy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so if you think about it, that's a very, very, very powerful signal. MIT and Case Western have recently added schoolhouse.world transcripts onto the optional part of their applications because they too see, hey, the value of someone being able to tutor and I've actually started going to employers. You know, many, many of the, the, the high, most sought after employers that the graduates of some of our nation's top universities hope to get internships with and hope to get first jobs with. And I'm, I'm telling them, if I could show you a young person who is a highly rated tutor of statistics or a highly rated tutor of writing or a highly rated tutor of subjects that you care about or are relevant to your, your, um, your, your industry, wouldn't that be interesting to you? And, and, you know, it's still early days, but many of them saying you're right. You know, in a lot of ways, we viewed a college degree and a college GPA as a proxy 
But in a lot of cases, kids don't necessarily have mastery through those types of experiences while, while here they would. So I think you're going to see more and more mechanisms like that emerge. Uh, with that said, I don't think, I don't think the uh, college as a rite of passage, as a life experience is going to go away uh, anytime soon. Uh, I, I do think there's kind of two reasons for going to college that oftentimes get mixed or, or people do it for both. One is that they want to learn a series of skills that will help them get a job. The other is they're hoping to have a, a broadening life experience um, and have a formative experience, you know, as, as a young person and, you know, mature and all of that, learn to live alone. And I think that the former, the, you know, getting a series of meaningful skills and being able to prove it to get you a job. I think there will be many pathways. I just gave one example. I think you're going to see many, many more over time. And you're already seeing this, right? You see uh, graduates from top universities go back and they go to some, you know, coding boot camp to, to then finally get the job that they want or whatever else. But then there's the formative experience. And that's where college can be very powerful, but it's also important to scrutinize college. Like there's many really, we all love the late night conversations debating some issue but at the same time, some of the socialization, if, you know, if there's a party and there's some suboptimal stuff that, you know, is, is that good socialization? You know, are there other things that you could be doing? Uh, so it, it's an interesting question. There's going to be an evolution. I think it's more of an and than, a, than an or for, for at least the next five, 10 years. Yeah, agreed. And it's, it's really been interesting to talk to students who have who've tutored through schoolhouse.world who um, just to hear their stories about what they've learned about themselves in that process and what they've learned about themselves as a learner as they as they begin to tutor. Um, so um, Angela, I, I want to turn to you with this question um, from Zara and um, she says she's just begun uh, her college search. She's familiar with your book. There it is, Crit, um, and uh, has used Khan Academy and Sal's book uh, many times. So thank you so much for these resources, uh, Zara says. How does Zara stay motivated? And says, you know, how do I not lose myself um, when you have a lot of work to do? How do you still make time for yourself? So Zara, I'm gonna have to read a little bit between the lines um, because I could interpret your question in multiple ways, but um, it sounds, first of all, that you are uh, a pretty exceptional young person. I wish more people said, oh, and I read this book and I read that book and I took time to listen to that podcast, but um, there's so much pressure on young people that I rarely find a student who said outside of class, was not on the final uh, or any standardized tests. I, I read this fill in the blank. So, um, so you're pretty special right there. When you ask about keeping yourself motivated during like really stressful times, and I, I heard a, like a hint of like self-care there, et cetera. Um, um, I, I want to say this about um, the high achievers that I, I study. So I think you have a very good idea of what Sal Khan does. Although Sal, I had to write down schoolhouse.world. I have to look into that more to be continued. Um, what I do for a living is I study as a psychologist, you know, what people who are, you know, um, at the top of their um, their sport or or their profession, if they're chemists, you know, if they're entrepreneurs. And, and one of the things that is, um, I think, surprising is how much they really value self-care, sleep, uh, which is probably the number one obsession of high achievers that I know. It's like they will not, like lose a night's sleep because they wanted to stay up late to finish something or like they value exercise. Um, 
They also value uh, time to hang out with, um, with friends. Um, well, when you get to our age, we value time with our children. So I will say this, it's not um, obvious when you watch a YouTube video of a high achiever, how much they care about their kind of long-term, you know, well-being, stamina. Um, you know, many of the decision makers that I meet will say like, you know, you can't afford to be exhausted and cranky because you'd be an awful leader making terrible decisions. So I know it seems, um, you know, like glib advice, but I'll just say this. I think that to the extent you can, um, uh, give yourself a break. Um, you know, if you relax a little, when, again, when I had these um, teenage girls in my house, they wouldn't believe me. I'm like, look, trust me, if you go to bed now, instead of like sleeping only four hours a night before this exam, like science says, like, it's better. So I hope you believe me, Zara, because it was really hard to convince my own daughters. And it is actually not only what leaders say, but what scientific research also affirms. That's a great point. Um, so right to bed after this. Um, um, so, Sal, so there's some questions here about kind of, uh, let, let's turn to this kind of resources piece. How do, how do students leave them so, themselves time and, and kind of capacity to explore and develop their interests, right? Um, there's, you know, how, how do they make time for, from the kind of extracurricular standpoint and, and what are some of the resources they can tap into? I think it's related to, to what Angela said. And I couldn't agree more with what she said. I mean, I, I, when I was the age of many of the people, many of the young people here, I had very bad habits. I would stay up all night. I would, um, but it, it wasn't that constructive. But over time, to Angela's point, I realized that I've become much more effective and productive. I meditate every day for half an hour. I go running regularly. I exercise regularly. I take my me time very seriously. I sleep eight hours a night. Uh, and I do find that I'm able to, to take on, take on, take on a lot more. In terms of the passions, it's 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 interesting. I mean, one of the things we try to do at KLS, as you know, Brennan, is like we, we actually try to quarantine the homework a little bit or at least put boundaries on the homework so that there is time for time with family, sleep, your passions. You know, when I wrote the One World Schoolhouse, I looked at like the research on homework. <laughs> like what? And, you know, when the Cold War hit, uh, and Sputnik went up, we're like, oh, we need more homework to catch up with the Soviets. And we had more homework, but there's actually been no correlation between um, more or less homework and somehow kids being more effective or learning more. But there are negative correlations because the more homework, the less sleep you have, the more homework, the less time you have with family, less time you have to connect, get hopefully good guidance and mentorship, less time you have with friendships. And those are all negative things. So I know this isn't fully in control of the student, if there's any educators listening, I do encourage you to think about how you can really uh, put boundaries around around the homework uh, so that students do have, uh, you know, what I'm about to say would sound unbelievably luxurious for most American high school students, especially the ones that are, are you know, on this type of call who are looking, who are already thinking about their futures. But I think every young person should have at least two, three hours every night to do as they see fit. And it could be like relax. read a book like Zara did. Read right? a book, read a book, <laughs> relax, meditate. Uh, or, and two. or two. And, or two. And also, and also explore your passions. I'll tell you something. Another thing that I've, you know, every now and then at dinner parties, I'll bring up with friends is like, you know, you see all of these young people like engineering these perfect resumes and they're starting all these not for profits and this, that, and they're, you know, and, and it makes for good college or they think it makes for good college applications. And then they go to college and then they, you know, and nothing wrong with becoming an investment banker or whatever else, but like they'll become an investment banker and not do anything else. Um, and they'll do that for like 10 years. And I'm like, what happened to like trying to solve world hunger? Or was that, you know, and, and so I also tell young people leaving college, 
like maybe for a year or two, you could go into one of these really intense jobs where you're working really long, but even that be very wary about it. But like if by the time you're in your mid twenties and you don't have time, at least a couple hours a week for some of your interests, your passions or self-care, that's a big red flag. And the ideal thing is start, start early, make time, make space, prioritize it right now. Uh, and it's, it's, I'll tell you this, you know, it's much more important to have that and be in a good place, healthy, balanced. And when you go to college, you're going to be the bright eyed, bushy tailed person that everyone wants to connect with, regardless of where you go to college, then you could go to what some people perceive as quote, the best college. But if you're stressed out and miserable and negative and, and all of that, it's not going to turn out well for anybody. That's a great point. Angela, there's a, I guess um, one of our attendees heard you talk on, on an episode about the happiest professions and um, wants to hear more about, you know, how can you feel fulfilled with the path that you choose? Um, you know, uh, they say, I have no clue how to even evaluate the potential choices that exist. And it seems that there are overwhelming amounts of options. So as, as students think about kind of college and all the options there, but also careers, like, how do they how do they start to process that? So I'm going to say two things. The first one's going to sound deeply unhelpful, but the second thing hopefully will add to that and be more more useful. So here's what I want to say based on the research that you're like, okay, so what? It turns out that doing something for your profession, for your work, for your career that is a fit with your interests is remarkably strong predictor of being good at your work, being happy, engaged, et cetera. In other words, you know, when I grew up, um, my dad said, I don't really care what you're interested in. You're going to be a doctor. <laughs> he was like, and, and here's why it's going to make a lot of money. Also, all your uncles are doctors. Um, and, and, and he didn't really want to know that I was interested in psychology and education and kids. He wanted me to get an MD, PhD and be like a Harvard Medical School professor, right? And if I could go back to those childhood days and say, do you know that tons of research now, rafts of research show that aligning your interests with your career choices is good. It makes you more successful, dad, you know, not only that, but happier, et cetera. But you still might say that's not useful advice because I don't know what my interests are. And it's like, still don't know what to do. So here's the second thing that I'll say that I think is a little more practical and less based on um, scientific research and maybe more based on my own life experience and what I've seen, which is that, you know, it's like a paramecium. A paramecium is a single celled organism, right? And it just sort of has this like basic thing, like move towards light, warmth and food, you know? And like, it, it, it's, and I think if you could just maybe try to figure out what you're interested in, kind of like a paramecium, like, well, I went to this debate club thing and I really hated it. Um, but then I went to track, I liked it. Okay, go to track more and go to debate club less. Like, you know, like uh, in bio class, I kind of was surprised that like, I thought I was gonna like it, but I don't like it as much, but I kind of liked chemistry and that's weird. Or my God, I actually liked English. Like what? Move towards English. Like, um, so I think be like a paramecium. I think interests, it turns out, and this is based on scientific research, cannot be like figured out in a top-down way. It's not figured out like a math problem. You, it's more like food. You have to taste it, spit it out, taste something else. And, and I, I, I think if you can, you know, experience things and gradually move more towards the things that you like paying attention to and maybe farther away from things that bore you 
to tears, then you can make use of that first thing I said, which is like eventually, you know, much, much farther in the future um, than today, start to make career choices that line up with those emerging developing interests. I am going to print up a bumper sticker that says, be like a paramecium and, and <laughs> Angela Duckworth. Look if you like paramecia. Yeah, that's right. So um, Sal, you and I have talked a lot about kind of, you know, um, what makes students stand out in applications and, you know, students at KLS and, and, and things like that. What, you know, I think a lot of times as, as students get closer to the college search, they're thinking about that more and more. Like, how am I gonna stand out in applications? How does every choice I make, kind of um, impact college and, and things like that. Any, any thoughts, just general thoughts on what might make students stand out? You know, there was a question here earlier, does a job matter? You know, you talked about tutoring. Um, any reflections on any of that? Yeah, and, and I'll just add one, one more. I completely agree with what Angela just mentioned about, about how you discover your thing, but I'll also really stress is just ask a lot of questions of like anyone that you're on. That, that was actually maybe one of my superpowers is that I would, from a very young age, if I was bored at a dinner party and I just met someone, um, I, I would literally ask them, I was like, how do you like your job? Like, and I was like 16 years old. I was like, what do you do? Like, like, what is stressful about your job? Are you happy you made that decision? And, you know, I had gone through, at one time I was pre-law, then pre-med. I thought I was going to do a PhD at one time. Then, you know, I went to tech, then a hedge fund. And then I, so I was that kid. Um, but I learned so much because the other thing that often happens in the university experience the, the classes can be very good, but they, they kind of almost want to hide you from the realities of, of, of the real world. And so the more that you can ask alums or people, you know, what stresses you? Is it good? Oh, is the money worth it? What are the trade-offs? You know, do you make enough money? All of that. Um, in terms of standing out, I, I got to say authenticity stands out in every walk of life, including in college. <laughs> if you can just be authentic, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example of, um, in the early days of Khan Academy, I was trying to convince some of my friends to make videos alongside me. And these are people, one, one is, uh, you know, professors at top universities and, you know, fancy background. And, and they're really interesting people. I mean, the reason why I reached out to these people is because I always found them interesting. They're funny, super smart, et cetera. But then when they made a video, they got very serious. They're like, well, the next step is, and I was like, what happened to you? You're what happened to the, what happened to the cool person that I hang out with? Like be that person. And the more that I, I, I try to like, well, I can't do that. What if my peers see this thing? I got to make sure I, pre but it's, it's a self-defeating, it's a self-defeating thing. The more that you approach the world with positivity, you assume everyone's here for your friend. It's just one big grand dinner party. Um, the more that people will, will respond to that because everyone wants to be authentic. And so when you, when you, when you're a little bit vulnerable by being a little authentic, people will naturally have gravity and affinity to you. And, and Brennan, you know, when, when we were talking to some of the KLS students earlier this year, and some of them were having writer's block around some of their essays and things like that, you know, I had a little session with them and I was like, what was the last time you laughed? Like really laughed, you know? And then they all kind of started giggling, right? Cause they all started to remember the last time that they really laughed. And then I asked each of them, okay, you're giggling. What, what was that thing? Like, oh, well, there's this time I, my little brother, he's such an idiot. He did this. And like, that's kind of a cool story. Like there's something powerful in that. And, and they're like, really? That's that. I was like, no, that's like you, that's like you and your life. And it's funny. And I'm laughing now and I'm, I feel connected to you. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just authenticity, vulnerability, goes a long 
long way. There's no perfect formula. I see so many people saying, oh, some kid I heard about five years ago was vice president of National Honor Society and first violinist and got a whatever, whatever on their SAT and this and that. And they got into the school that I want to get into. Therefore, I will do all those exact same things. And and trust me, the college admissions folks, they're, they're all imperfect, um, but they they know how to spot inauthenticity, you know, nine times out of 10. So uh, just be authentic. Now, of course, the more things that are truly differentiating, truly like, hey, that's really interesting. That's why wow, we haven't seen a lot of kids that like do that. So it's not like job good, job bad, but what is it about that job that that like, you know, really makes it makes it compelling. I saw that question. Someone says that, you know, they tutor at Kumon. Like, what, was there an interesting interaction you've had with a parent or, you know, was there an observation about society you were able to make or just a quirky thing that happened with some of the kids? That's the kind of stuff that I think would, I mean, you just have to think about from the uh, college admissions officer point of view, they're going through tens of thousands of applications. If you can make them smile, if you can make them feel connected, uh, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have a good shot. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and Angela, let's, let's stay on this a little because, you know, you and I have collaborated a little with uh, Making Caring Common and, and on work around character. And, um, you know, when we talk about character, um, what's the difference between kind of ethical character and performative character? And, you know, how does that, does it matter in admission? Can you, can you unpack that a little? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll say that like some people love the word character and then some people hate the word character. Um, I love it because it was what Martin Luther King said that, that, you know, along with intelligence was, you know, these are the twin goals of a true education. And also it's what Aristotle said, you know, like that's what living a good life is, things that are good for you and good for others. Um, but I can see why some people don't like it because they think it sounds like fixed mindset, like you, it sounds like you can't change your character. Um, of course you can. And then also some people would say like, oh, it sounds like you're kind of blaming kids for not having character. Anyway, it's a word. Um, let me say uh, in answering your question, um, one thing that uh, scientists are completely in agreement about, maybe they don't agree about the word we should use, but this set of skills and capabilities and values, like call them mindsets, call them social emotional skills, call it character, um, call it whatever you want. Um, one thing is that there's it's a plural it's a plurality there isn't just like one aspect of your character so you asked in particular about like performance character versus say ethical or moral character so for example things that i study like grit you know growth mindset optimism self control those are things that help you get stuff done um, and so you could argue that those are part of character but they're different from being kind and honest um, being generous, being forgiving, being empathic. And those are more associated with ethical or moral character. And by the way, while we're at it, I think there are like at least three families of character. So getting things done, uh, being sort of a good person and uh, relating to other people well. But the third family is curiosity, imagination, creativity, uh, intellectual humility. So I like to think of them, and I didn't say them exactly in this order, but heart, mind, and will. Um, however you want to call this dimension, I think increasingly admissions officers, um, which is why, you know, we've been working together, and also um, the rest of the world, including leaders of nations and CEOs of companies, are recognizing they want a whole person. They don't want just an SAT score to show up. They don't want just an SAT score and six years of violin either. They want somebody who is kind and empathic and, and you know, compassionate and also 
curious and intellectually humble, and also to some extent, you know, optimistic, proactive, gritty. So I think if there's a lesson in all of this, it means that, you know, however many dimensions you want to count, whatever you want to call it, um, increasingly in admissions, there's recognition that we should be in, in inviting and admitting whole people. And that means, uh, you know, in all of our, um, in all the ways that we show up in this world. And you can't game that, right? You can't, you can't force that. I mean, back to the authenticity piece, you can't, um, you can't uh, manufacture that. Um, and- oh, I, I would agree with Sal that I think if admissions officers are anything, they are world experts at fishing out the kind of like faux, you know, I'm going to sound like a compassionate person because I'm going to volunteer in the animal shelter to, and I'll write my, they, they are so good at, at being detectives for that inauthenticity. So look, winner, winner, chicken dinner, do something you legit care about in a sincere and authentic way it will take care of itself in the admissions process, but guess what? You also only get to live life once. So, you know, why not spend those high school years doing something that you really um, want to do as opposed to think the admissions officers want to see? Yeah, yeah, that's it's great. Don't kind of get, get beyond the Jedi mind tricks. You can't get in their head. Um, um, Sal, there, you know, we've been focusing on kind of, you know, what you, what, people can do to stand out in admission and, and maybe focusing on kind of the high achievers. And, and one person says, um, what about students that struggle? What are your thoughts about community college, the community college to university path and some of those um, different pathways? I think the community college to university path is awesome. I mean, especially, I, you know, I'm not familiar with the rest of the country, but I remember being surprised when I moved out here to California, how powerful of a pipeline it was to go from the community college system. If you have a solid GPA, you can go into the Cal system, which is obviously one of the you know best state university systems in the country. Uh, and, and so I think that's a very, very viable option. And I think we are going to the earlier question. I think the, the quote prestige of the school is going to matter a lot less over time, um, you know, you, you, you know, certain schools, you might say, oh, I'm part of some kind of tradition or this, or that. But like, you know, if, if you even look at, you know, some of the top employers and where they're hiring, they are becoming much more skills specific. Um, and so you could, you could go to a community college and start your journey and then transfer to a four-year college. And if you've really mastered the skills and have, have show that you've been able to do things with it, either as part of internships or as part of just projects that you've been able to do on the side, you're going to be very, uh, very much in the game. Uh, so I don't think there's, I mean, and I, I think it's a really good point because a lot of the national discussion about colleges tends to focus on like 50 or so universities, even though those make up like, you know, I think that there's 3000 universities in the US. So it's a very small fraction of people who who go to these these universities. Um, and And you can also point to so many examples of people who don't go to there who are happier, have the the capabilities and the character, and they're they're thriving. And then, and obviously, you have you have uh, on the other on the other side, as well. I'll, I'll add I'll add one caveat. You know, I said authenticity. I, I I you know just to give real talk, I do think every now and then people do sneak in through the process in an inauthentic way. But you're more likely. I think ninety percent of the time it'll be caught, and ten percent of the time it won't be caught. Um, and so you're better off to Angela's point, living your life in a joyous way, being authentic. And then the people who are getting through somehow inauthentically or by getting through with consultants or their parents are writing the essays or whatever is happening, it, it, at some point, it, it, at some point, it's going to work out. Them. 
<laughs> yeah. it, it catch it, it does it does i mean does. i don't want to state specific examples but i know some specific examples so do i it caught up the hooks. <laughs> and it caught up with them if, if, if the justice department doesn't get you and your parents then then <laughs> something else will right? right um uh angela um a student asked what if the thing i naturally kind of move towards is something against my parents wishes or just isn't a viable career choice Okay, so um, got a lot of parents on this call too. So I want to say two things. Um, you know, when I became a teacher, you know, my dad said to me, like, I did not send you to Harvard uh, to be a teacher. And then he said some other things that I won't repeat, but they were pretty awful. And he stopped speaking to me for six months. I mean, literally just wouldn't speak to me. Um, and this, of course, was after I had already graduated from college and I guess didn't become the medical school professor that he thought I was going to be. So I, I vibe with that um, comment and it's really hard. So that, that's one thing I wanna say, but to all the parents on, on the call, I mean, there's nothing you love more in the world than your children. And I think my dad was, um, you know, not a bad person. He was just, he thought that I really would be happier in the long run as, as a medical school professor. So it was, it was well-intentioned actually, even though I think ultimately I was right and, and he was wrong. Um, he also had economic fears, you know, like there was a time in his life where he was really poor and he just really did not want me to, to not have financial security. So at the end of the day, I will say this, and this is why I'm so glad there are parents and students on, on the same, you know, in the same conversation. I think that there are, of course, realities, taxes, you need to pay for healthcare benefits, et cetera. Parents are very aware of those things. Young people are sometimes less aware of those realities. But um, again, I always uh, come back to this research that you can, in a sense, have it all, because if you can find something, and it's hard to imagine an interest that you have, whether it be artistic, musical, whatever it is, that, that there isn't some viable career track within that, and you are going to be more successful and, uh, and more satisfied if you can go that way. So I'm not saying the conversation is going to be easy. By the way, my dad did start talking to me again. Um, and, um, and hashtag growth mindset, you know, your parents are changing and growing too. And my dad changed and grew a lot. And the dad that I had at the end of his life was just a much better version than the dad that I had when I was 16. So, you know, in some ways also have a little patience with your parents and know that a lot of times it's coming from a place of their own love for you and some of their own anxieties. But I do think intrinsic motivation is the name of the game for happiness and success. That's great. Uh, so I know you both have a hard stop in five minutes, but um, I want to do one more question for Sal and then end with some kind of parting wisdom from each of you. You're kind of your last uh, piece of uh, advice. Um, Sal, um, just kind of on a practical note, um, somebody asked, what are, what are good places for high school students to look for internships or opportunities like that? Like, like where, would you, where would you point people? Like, what, where, how can they kind of take advantage of those resources? I, I'm not an expert here. I mean, there are actually a, an increasing number of things you can do online, things like schoolhouse.world. You could go tutor there. And, you know, as I said, uh, already several universities and probably many more and employers are going to start looking at that. I saw a couple of people here, you know, they talked about their jobs. I think someone was a Taekwondo instructor. That's super cool. Like, like stuff like that. I think immediately, like if I was your, once again, you shouldn't do that for getting into college, but if Taekwondo is something that you love and you love teaching other people, when I learned that, I was like, that's, wow, I want to learn more about their, you know, what it's like to be a Taekwondo instructor. There's probably all sorts of good stories and, and, and learnings all there. So just look around. And, you know, I also encourage, this is a time where you're at your most creative, even though it might not feel that, I mean, you don't, 
you someone else is hopefully paying your bills for the most part and 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 so uh although i know many people are contributing to their house as well but like if see if you can find problems to solve around you um you know don't start you, you might even be able to start a small business not to get into college because it's actually a problem that needs solving uh, that you might want to do and they're all over the place i've uh, maybe i should just start on social media like i there's like 50 ideas that i think a 16 year old could 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 start a business on or, or so so i i would say do do that for first and foremost and I'll, I'll just add on one other comment to angela's point one i think angela and i could have a joint therapy session and we can compare our parents um, yes, we should. i also cannot fully share some of what my mom told me when shall not be repeated but my dad is watching this so if you have any uh, tips from him please uh share. <laughs> i think That's... it would get my dad canceled honestly yeah <laughs> my mom too but the um but i would say you know the, the question was if my parents don't approve or there's not a viable career and i agree with what you said angela about the vibe like there's usually a glimmer of a viability but the main thing is to be informed like if you're going into a career where, yeah, maybe some people can become the celebrity millionaire, but most people are not, and they're going to, you know, get by. Um, but you, if you want that, and you want to live in San Francisco and New York or New York City, and you want to have a apartment overlooking the bay, or you know, that's where reality <laughs> you need to. But if you're comfortable with the trade-offs, then, but really comfortable with it and really can grok it, then I think then you should you should keep going in that direction. That's great. All right. Uh, one minute from each of you, uh, and then I'll let you go. Um, Angela, do you have some parting wisdom? Yeah, I have like one specific optional homework assignment for those of you who um, kind of uh, like picked up on Sal's conversations at those dinner parties that he had. So there's a word for that actually, Sal, it's called a curiosity conversation. You have like a 15 or 20 minute conversation with somebody who has a job that you're kind of curious about, a job you're pretty sure you don't want, a job that you think you might want, somebody who's maybe a junior in college. I mean, it could be your bio teacher from second period. The curiosity conversation is like, hi, Sal, like, you know, I know you're really busy but do you have 20 minutes to have a curiosity conversation just like to ask you what you do what you like about it what maybe frustrates you um i'm available you know these times these days and i've done random assignment studies on it and actually is a really helpful you know the student who was like but i don't know what i want to do and how do i get started those conversations uh, can really help you at the beginning of the beginning. So it was a great thing that you did spontaneously and a movie director, um, producer named Brian Grazer, who um, uh, is in Hollywood, uh, says like, it's the secret to his whole career is just having uh, curiosity conversations as often as he can. Love it, I love it. All right, Sal, take us out. I will quote Buddha, that attachment is the cause of all suffering. So, uh, which I actually do subscribe to. Um, and, and, and so, you know, someone talked about how do you do with the crushing, you know, you are not your SAT scores. You are not your grades. You're definitely not where you go to college. I know it's hard for some people to process that, but you aren't. And the more that you get attached to certain things, it might work out, but then you'll keep getting attached to other things. At some point you won't get it and it will cause suffering. And, you know, there's some things that, are debatable maybe it's better to be a little bit more attached to like friends and family and things like that but you know these things that get i would say caught up with our egos and our identity and i'm guilty of it too but when i really think about the reason why i'm waking up in the middle of the night or i'm worked up about something someone said or i'm had a crushing rejection it is because i tied my ego or my identity to some outcome 
um, that I needed to get this job. That's who I am. Or I needed to get into this program or that program. So the more that you can avoid that, I think you're just setting yourself up to success. And, you know, Angela's an expert on grit and mindset and all of that, but it's that type of attachment that also keeps you from making the decision right. Because just as you might get attached to um, attaching your ego to something, you also want to preserve your ego. So you might not put yourself out there because you might think you might get rejected. You see someone attractive at, you know, and you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to them. What if they reject me? But what if they're, they're your soulmate? Put yourself out there. Um, but don't be attached to the outcome. Right? <laughs> they might say, no, that's okay. Smile and brush it off. They might be so impressed with how you deal with rejection that they might come back. But um, the, 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 the bottom line is don't get too attached. And if I give one very tactical tip, is, and I started this well into my 30s, but it's been transformational for me, but meditate. If you can do 10 minutes, even a day, I do about 30 minutes a day, and it's nothing fancy, just sit silent, observe your thoughts, get to know your thoughts, uh, get a little bit still, and um, it, it works wonders. As do I, and it's it's powerful. Hey, friends, thank you so much. Um, this You have been uh, wonderful to spend time with us, and um, this is such, such, such a great way to kind of uh, start this um, experience for families and students and um, this is just such a great framework so thank you that's it for college guidance now if you like this podcast please share it with a friend rate it review it college guidance now is a presentation of college guidance network to join conversations like this one live in the future go to collegeguidancenetwork.com thanks for listening